0: Hi, I'm Luke Campbell and I work for a small wine company. He's Luke Morris and
1: I edit out every time I swear.
0: (laughs) And together we are Luke's talk wine, talking all things wine and Riesling and popular culture, thinking when to drink, why we drink it, and the culture that surrounds drinking. Hello, Luke. G'day, Campbell. Uh, what have we got in store for us this week, pal? Well, hello to the listening audience. Yes, have we got a week for you. What a week. What a week to be alive and what a week to wine. This week's topic is house wines. Are they a good buy in a restaurant? Hmm. Let's ponder that a little bit later on. And this week's listener question is a great question, possibly following on the back of last week's episode uh when we were talking about bubbles and the delight in champagne and what crisis if any they went through or are going through this week's question from lisa in sandringham she writes what is the difference in sparkling wines from europe they're complicated carver champagne oh. Cremont. lisa's raising a question that's probably facing everybody this week uh, being race week here in melbourne oh yeah then we'll have a little bit of a dabble in what, if anything, we have been drinking later in the program. But first, and as always starting the program, the way we do it is, Luke Morris, what's been happening in your wine world this week? Ow! Um, yeah, I, I,
1: should we follow up that job in Bendigo? No, yeah. Talk to so uh, I met him talked about things, so I'm going to go in there on Wednesday and and help out and there's like three jobs that I think need to be done and I'm not really not really looking for that kind of job. I think you're you want you told me maybe it was off recording that you know if it takes away from what you really want to do, does it really service you know? It's, it might be some extra income, but does not really service what you're trying to achieve? And so I'm, i think I'm. I'm going to like be a, a hired gun, go in there, help them out, and then. Um, but if there's anybody anybody listening in the audience who who is looking for work in the wine industry in Bendigo, maybe I can help you out. Just just you know, email Luke, like talkwine at gmail dot So. Yeah, I
0: was just going to say, just get in touch, talkwine at gmail.com or DM us yeah. on the. Social media. Yeah.
1: Uh, you just slide into the old DMs. Um,
0: slide
1: the yeah, you just reminded me I've got a day off work tomorrow because um, my other job, of my, of my many jobs, I've got a day off tomorrow for, for horses walking, going around a, a track, which is exciting. Um, mm-hmm. But here's something so yeah. a while ago we talked about um, Eldridge, uh Estate closing we, up. It? David uh david lloyd,
0: david lloyd. yes yeah, not eldridge out of the Adelaide hills but uh david lloyd eldridge estate in red hill morning peninsula we did yes yeah
1: and his name came up in a in a chat i was having with someone today and i found out where he is now
0: where is he
1: so uh, you may or may not know that the, officially the sale happened. that happened a little while like, um a couple of months ago i think and you can still go there and there's some gamay and things to to try and and i don't i'd probably recommend doing that um so that that'd be fun if you want to go to Eldridge and Mornington but David's off in Tasmania doing what I don't know I didn't get a, a response to that question but apparently he's lying low he's he's living in Tasmania he's going to dabble with some vintages over in um Burgundy probably and, and maybe in California as well. And and obviously he will probably dabble a bit in Tasmania, but he's he's I don't think he's planting any any vines or or has purchased any any vineyard. I, I that didn't I I didn't get that impression. But yes. uh yeah, he's, he's he's you might argue living the semi retired life of an of a highly skilled winemaker. Just
0: Fantastic! And who bought the winery, Luke Morris? I
1: don't know. I didn't ask that question.
0: That's the, that's the you buried the lead. That's what we need to know.
1: Do you? What do you? Do you think they're going to keep it the same name? I think they're going to. They'll probably change it. They'll probably stamp their own.
0: Well, it'd just be great to know because it's been you know David has toiled for many many as you well know and so do I. He's toiled for many many a year to get that right. Certainly with his now passed on wife. Um, Wendy, uh, and he said his own health challenges in recent years, but just you know, he's just a, a wizard when it comes to that.
1: Yeah, but fruit like fruit in the Mornington is is so expensive. Like, I wouldn't be surprised if some. I, I wanna I, I, if I name a name, it might feel like I'm I've got them in my sights. But someone who's in that area, like maybe. Um, Philip estate or um yabby lake or someone who's around there who who could do with some extra fruit because their wine sell out anyway yeah. they they would have been crazy not to pass up to pass up the opportunity of buying that good vineyard
0: uh yeah fair enough that's probably fair yeah
1: yeah. i think it's it sounds more like the sort of thing that's you know uh, a, a young winemaker Looking to start their career would probably be priced out of buying an established vineyard like that.
0: Yeah, fair one. Fair one. Play on.
1: Yeah, I mean, I don't know what happened. Like, you know, this is speculation purely, but I'd, I'd a guess that's, that's the way I would have thought it. it. It's, 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 uh, travelled. It's gone. Yeah.
0: I loved his game I also like he used to make the the famous pasta grains, but it was called PTG. You know where they yes. are <gasps> You know, just a little bit of a chill on that and a hot day on anybody's. That was fantastic.
1: Yeah. I remember that's one of those classic wines that's so hard to sell and then people actually try it and get it and then they're like, can you get me more? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. It'd
0: be like, weeks by then, but um, yeah,
1: fantastic. Yeah. What, what's this? What's this, Gamay? Why would you mix it with pinot? What are you talking about? No, I don't want that. It was like, Argh! And then, yeah. But yeah. Um, great great winemaker he's um, you know, doing good things now lovely. good on him yeah, I'm
0: glad he's enjoying himself whatever he might be doing down there in Tasmania so yep. but mate I've got a question for you and yeah.
1: hi this is Luke Morris from Luke's Talk Wine I've written some books so visit Luke dot au go there see the books buy one support the podcast that's Luke Morris Ha huh, dot com.au A.com.au. Have a great day.
0: I want to talk about house wines. So are they still relevant? Are they still good value? What do you think?
1: Ah, uh, it can be hard, can't it? it
0: can
1: be. It's, uh, you probably know more about this than I do, as someone who who creates wine lists for restaurants and therefore would determine what the house wine would be it's so it's so hard because sometimes you, you, some some companies it's like uh people who order the house wine aren't putting any thought into it and therefore the people who are selling it and pouring it are pulling as bad as much thought as how much does it cost into into the offer and sometimes they're, they're duds like that but then sometimes Like particularly overseas, where where the 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 restaurant might be actually attached to a vineyard, they get a fantastic price on a fantastic wine, and they make it themselves, and it's the best thing on the menu by far. Mm -hmm. So it's hard to have a, I don't know, I don't really have a golden rule for what to do with a house wine. Do do you do you have one making as in the
0: trade? I do. Like as you know, as my career has gone on i think house wine always started it was always the notion that it was the bottom of the barrel and it was crap and people aren't thinking about it so don't worry about it and then the industry kind of moved on and and owners and um sommeliers and bartenders got involved and they got smart about it and they realized that the bulk of people weren't Really thinking about it, but they were buying it all the same, and so they got savvy and they started to produce, you know, um, high-margin house wines. Whether they produce it themselves or they got winemakers to make it for them, and so on. And so then they were just making um, really good wines with, with great margin. And then the customer got savvy and they realised they won't buy the cheapest wine. I eat house wine. They'll buy the second or third one up the list. Yeah. And it's been like a game of tennis match over the last decade, decade with the consumer having the upper hand, the restaurateur having the upper hand, back to the consumer, back to the restaurateur. Nowadays, I think it's gone full circle where the sommeliers are actually providing really good house wines. And as you say, they're either made by the adjacent winery or closest winery to the venue or they've partnered up with a, great winemaker, and they're making small batch wines for the house, which are actually really, really good. So is, is the question today was, you know, are, are they relevant? Are they, are they a good buy? I would say now it's back to the consumer, and I'd say that these wines are a good buy because the sommelier and the house, i.e. the venue, the restaurant, the bar – have really put some thought into it, and they're exploring regionality, they're exploring winemaking techniques, and they're kind of back at the cutting edge, Murray. And so you, I think they are worthwhile exploring again.
1: It's interesting because, like, that, the notion of the house red or the house white, you don't really see it as much as you used to on menus. I, I don't see it that much anyway. I tended to see um, uh, they might label it and have the it'll be the cheapest wine. Will be what's what's the house wine, but it'll still be labelled as. Um, I keep thinking of Nepenthe. I don't know why, but let's say Nepenthe Cabernet, the or Nepenthe Napa. Yeah. Blanc and there's your house white or red.
0: Yeah. Yeah, but well, it's not called.
1: Me. It's not called just house wine. It's called. It's actually labelled as as the producer.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and I think as well, you know, like that the brand is more at the forefront now as well. So that yeah. the, the venue to hang their hat on.
1: Why did that used to have something called house wine? I mean, because they well, could have always gone with the label of the producer. Why did they, why, why invent the terminology of a house red, house
0: white? Producers in those days didn't want to be associated with the cheapest wine on the list. Oh, really? So it wasn't until Brian and um you know Brian and Neil mcguigan with McGuigan Simeon wines and stuff like that, they started producing wines labelled House Blend or House Wine. And that almost they were owning that space for a while there here in Australia. I'm talking about, but um but they, they went Conversely, they went in the, the opposite direction and started making and labelling and, and positioning wines for that house pour.
1: And what's it, and the word house, does that have to do with – because I'm just thinking, does it come over from Europe and it's made by the house or or, or the oh, restaurant no, or funny. something? Or is it is it the, that's the wine that the people in the house drink as opposed to their good stuff that they sell? I don't
0: know. Selected by the house. So Selected I, by the house.
1: Yeah,
0: yeah. Hmm.
1: Uh, well, that so, still has a role then. That still has a purpose.
0: Yes, absolutely. And and but I, I I'm um uh I mean we're both pontificating I guess, but I am saying that they are a good buy and they are well worth seeking out. We've moved on from those crappy two buck chump days where people were trying to hide all the crappy wine in the house bottles uh i think we've moved on uh, well shouldn't
1: and- that be the reflection of the quality of the um establishment because i know from uh, working with wineries if a, if a if a restaurant has your wine on the pour, as we call it so they're selling it by the glass and as you said that the house is usually the cheapest wine. so you know a glass would be their house wine, but you might be selling something at $14 a glass. You'd still give them an extra bottle of wine or some sort of incentive to help keep it on the pool. And wouldn't it make sense for that that restaurant or that uh, bar or whatever to have a high-quality wine as the house wine system so people associate their house with high quality? Why has it become junk?
0: Well, that, that's my argument exactly. I, I think it's it's come back around to now they're dealing with, um, you know, great producers, small batch winemakers, and they're positioning better wines for that house.
1: Uh, so now the flexibility of price has become an ability to showcase quality, whereas it used to be just price-driven.
0: Yes, that's exactly right. Yeah,
1: good. I suppose well, that's the, one of those swings and roundabouts things that will happen.
0: Yes, well, that, that's exactly right. So you get, um, you know, wonderful kind of operators, restaurateurs, and whatever, just really putting some foresight into those trends. And yeah, house wine tends to be one of them.
1: Is that the difficulty of of selecting wine for a list? Is the price point that you think people will purchase wine at? Because costs obviously will do go up. I mean, inflation, as we all know, is a real thing. So costs have to go up, but people's pockets and perceptions might be that they don't want to go from $12 to $14 a glass. They want to keep it at $12 a glass. But in order to provide that wine at $12 a glass, with inflation, you have to reduce costs. The, the the amount you
0: spend, so it's, yeah, I can relate to that. Yeah, it's a real
1: it's a real balance.
0: It, it's completely balanced, Abs- absolutely. Look, I, I think, uh, you know, effectively we're myth busting and, and and stereotyping all house wine here, but the 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 epicenter, I guess, of the conversation is we're we're moving onwards. Consumers are a bit more wiser now to the positioning of that house wine. And they are actually probably better valued than what they used to be because great operators are collaborating with excellent winemakers to put and use it as a positioning tool or use it as a collaboration tool and a selling tool, moreover, that their house is good because they've got Steve Flamstead from Giant Steps making the wine or yeah. whatever. Um you know, and I think it's a, it's it's a good thing. It's not to be shied away. If you're in a venue looking for a decent wine, I think the house wine is back to those halcyon days of actually being a really good product, and you don't have to think about it. You can just drink it. Hopefully, hopefully.
1: How, how much do you what's do you, what do you think people's price point is? Is is twelve dollars still the starting point for a glass of wine these days, or are we moving up to? I think I had one on the weekend was fifteen.
0: Oh look, you know, like I, I just wrote a, I just wrote a list, um, for a small pizza shop. Like their starting glass was at nine, yeah. Oh. Uh, like I, 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 you know, I've written wine lists where their starting point is twenty-two dollars a glass. So oh, crumbs. I think the, 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 the beauty is in the, 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 glass of the beholder, so to speak. There, it's, um, you know, like I, it all depends on what's in the glass. I think these days.
1: I suppose that reflects what the uh, the business thinks it's going to do with, it, with its customers. Sounds like a weird thing to say, with its customers. Yeah. Yeah. True, true. But people, true. people, people spend. You know, maybe that nine dollars a glass for pizza wines. This is a reflection of what people drink with pizza, as opposed to what people drink with. Uh, I don't know. the twenty two dollar, the twenty two dollar a glass. Uh, would it be sous vide, slow poached chicken on kale? I don't know, No, something, you know, some sort of fancy yeah. pants meal.
0: Speaking of fancy pants meals. Yeah. The question from of this week, Lisa writes from Sandingham, what is the difference in sparkling wines from Europe? Tava, champagne, Cremont, what's the story? Uh, we, we had a little bit of a, a soiree or a conversation moreover last week into champagne um, in general and the plight of champagne. But I think this question from Lisa is probably a question we've all been thinking, like, what's the story, Morning Glory? Like, <coughs> and what, what might it be? So, you know, the question's often asked, what's the difference between sparkling wine and champagne? Well, I mean, that's pretty easy. Champagne only comes from champagne. But... There are also a lot of other different types of sparkling wines.
1: Yeah. ah, the, There's lots of, lots of methods. Champagnes is basically what, how champagne's made. So if you see that written on any bottle, it follows that process. And then there's a whole gamut of differences. I think the only difference with carver is the amount of time it spends, uh, or oh, it's the format that it's the secondary ferment is in and then the amount of time it spends on lees compared to champagne is that correct
0: yes. Gosh. that sounds very familiar but also carver uses they use different grape varieties for the bulk of the yeah drink. uh Cremont, Cremont loosely you know translates to, to cream but this is kind of it's produced method style um, but Cremont, you know, less ha- has usually has less bubble and less pressure, which gives it kind of a creamier taste in contrast to the stark acids and bracing acids of champagne. You've got Prosecco. Um, oh, Prosecco yeah. wine the, the Giant Killer of Italy. It's a, it's a fun fruit-driven sparkle from the Benito region. Uh, the Giant
1: Killer of Italy? What, what was it in Giant Killer?
0: It's probably taken over. It's having like its Sauvignon Blanc you Know, moment everyone in Sundry apart from you and I is drinking bucket loads of Prosecco, like they're they're putting it in cans, they're making it in rose now, they're exporting it to England. But you know, next, next up, next stop would be bag in box. Like, (laughs) I guess I don't know how they put sparkling wine in a box, but they can put it in a can, so you never know.
1: Oh, no, well, that's it's just if you put it in a bag under pressure, the bag's gonna inflate, it's gonna (laughs) be interesting.
0: (laughs) Very true, actually. Interesting
1: scenario. But, um, yeah, I, well, that's a lot of that's price driven. Why is Prosecco so cheap? I don't, I don't,
0: I think. Well, it's only usually made from one variety, which is probably, it's not it's not, not blended, so take one step out. Yep. But they also, have Prosecco, Prosecco had, you know, larger bottles and they're made, mainly produced in, like, tank method. They're not produced in method champenoise. So it's quicker and faster because there's no secondary fermentation.
1: What's that? What's that term called?
0: Charmat method. That's it. C H A R M A T Charmat Scharmatt method. That's it. Hmm. But yeah. what about um, the Germans? The Germans and the Austrians have a style they like to call. Um, oh, I'm freestyling here. Um, Actually, I reckon it might just be called Sekt, which is their brute or dry. Uh, So sparkling wines from Austria and Germany, usually made out of like the likes of Riesling and Gruneweltlin are just called Sekt, and they are bone dry. Um, And other styles, I mean, you mentioned Carver. So there's several regions of Carver in Spain, but it is a sparkling method as well as a... You know, beautiful drink. I think carver's kind
1: of underrated. Don't you, oh, yeah, carver's underrated, but um, it can be hard finding good carver. That's the problem I've, I've found sometimes. Don't know if carver's had its attempt at the day in the sun. I think Prosecco is taking it over. I think people will, you know, it's, it's also. Not as fun a word to say, and I think that's an important thing. That's why I thought Sauvignon Blanc had such a big period of success because it's a fun word to say, even even if the wine itself isn't that interesting. It's fun to say Prosecco. Prosecco sounds fun. can't afford champagne. That sounds fun. But Prosecco you can afford. (laughs) Carver. Carver. It sounds like it should be, you know, served in a bucket in, on barley. It's not the same.
0: <laughs> <laughs> served in a bucket in barley. Is that what you just said?
1: I did say that because there is a there is a Indonesian like um, fermented something drink that's served in a bucket called kava.
0: It is too. Oh, it's horrible! I know what you're talking about now. Yeah.
1: How uh, how many of those people are going to go into like your fine dining restaurant and say, "Can I have?" How, how surprised would you be if you're in there going, "Can I have some carbon?" And somebody comes out to your table with a bucket and a couple of straws? It's like I don't know why you want up here. It is. <laughs> what what even is that? I don't know. It's like I guess it's like moonshine. I I don't know
0: moonshine it was <laughs> we need to do an episode on moonshine you and i
1: <laughs> you mean like having drunk a liter of it and then start recording
0: is that what you mean by that <laughs> we should do the great moonshine taste off you get you get find a moonshine somewhere and me and we'll uh describe them for the listening audience <laughs> If, if anyone out there knows a good moonshine producer, email us at Lukestalkwine at gmail and Maury and I will get on the taste-off. I reckon I, that's a great...
1: i tell you what, if if we were talking about trends in the wine world and at one point you were saying de alcoholized wine and low-alcohol stuff, surely there's got to be the other extreme where it's just moonshine and we can start bottling moonshine as an industry future.
0: I reckon... What was it? Our, our wine's going to be called in, Inexplicable uh, Happiness, I reckon. <laughs>
1: Inexplicable Happiness Moonshine could be a. Is, do you reckon that's the thing? or is there another brand name you want to go with? I reckon
0: that'll be a secondary, a secondary uh, brand name, like you yeah. Know,
1: More yeah. explicable happiness, ninety-eight <laughs> percent moonshine.
0: <laughs> People, uh, you know, they have like Reserver or uh, you know, like we'll have we'll have house and then we'll have reserve <laughs>
1: Unreserved.
0: Unreserved. Explicable habitus. <laughs> Buy the bucket. Get your drink on now. Too funny. Oh
1: yeah, no, no, mate. If you're if you're complaining about uh serving prosecco in a cardboard box, just start to your 18 moonshine served to you in a swing top bottle. just <laughs> yeah. a cork in it. Just in the old days
0: lisa we digress but i hope really we've touched on there the sparkling wines from europe they are regional yes they are produced in different methods there's some great values out there but if yeah if you were talking about uh styles like blanc de blanc is obviously white grapes all the time Brut is dry vintage is only made from the one year That's i fun... haven't, haven't even talked about spumanti or asti that's the Spumanti. We haven't touched on that, so that's a off, off dry version from the Piedmont, region. We
1: haven't talked about passion pop.
0: This... No, we probably won't talk about. That. <laughs> well, that's not from Europe anyway. At least specifically said Europe. Oh,
1: was it? Oh, okay. Then sorry, I, I, my, my my fault.
0: <laughs> um, and I'm sure we're missing out. A bit, oh, that's what I was going to say. The fun fact on bubbles and vintage is. Most bubbles come from multiple vintages, so which is why they're labelled NV, non-vintage. A vintage wine has to come from the vintage that's labelled on the bottle. So that's a fun fact. We haven't had fun facts on this episode, but uh, that is definitely one of them, Lisa. Um, But in conclusion, I hope we've touched on the styles there and you can find something you want to drink bubbly-wise in the lead-up to the silly season. Um, But uh, from here on out, that's kind of our recommendations.
1: Yeah, so, yeah, so, yeah, I'm just trying
0: to think if if there's no
1: general overcasting rule. I'd say, say though, Cremont would be the smart person's bubbles at the moment, made in Champagne style, beautiful, um, rich sort of sparkling and normally half the price of, normally about the same price as a carver, I think.
0: Yep, and look look to the regions, you you know, if you like... Uh, Burgundy or Bourgogne, buy Cremonte Bourgogne. Yeah. If you like Cremante Jura, buy Cremonte Jura, you know, and, and so on and so on. So yeah. um yeah it's a it's a it's a great tip actually. Cremont is a dead set winner. Yeah.
1: I think that's the next that's that's the dark horse for the next uh, uh big wine because obviously champagne and prosecco are, are, are where they are but um Cremont smart person's next drink for oh, bubbles. I love it.
0: Maury, what have you been drinking, if anything? I know you. I know you're on the the, the downhill run. Pardon the pun to the Queenstown <laughs> marathon, but what, if anything, has been passing your lips, my good man?
1: Well, I was at a birthday party. Hello, Danny. Uh, I was at a birthday party on Saturday night, and I don't know how much of a of a market leader I am, but uh, it was free drinks across the bar, and I. Got a glass of rose, and the guys I was drinking, I, I went to have a, a chat to while were drinking beers, and they were like, What's that? And I said, Rose. And they're like, Oh, I might have a rose too. And uh, rose started to become a bit of a, a theme for the night. So I don't know what I don't know what the connection was. Maybe it was just because it's slightly warm, but not warm enough, and rose was some sort of you know, nice, cleanish, but not not as. I uh, am um, trying to think of a, of a word. Not as freshing. Not as, yep. well, um, fresh. as 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 a total white wine, and not as um, not as bold, bold as a, as a red wine. But the, yeah, rosé rosé was what was on the cards on the weekend. It, I think. What are, are we? Spring springs rosé rather, isn't it?
0: Cool. Yeah. We, we haven't had a. a a a tip top start to the kind of spring that we would expect you know with long long kind of warmish days so we don't feel like we're in massive rosé season yet but in in saying that it's coming I was uh, drinking a bottle of rosé champagne over the weekend actually and I had the same similar experience to you and I I took this bottle of rosé uh, to, to a, a function and a group of friends and, and somebody said, oh, what, what's that? And I said, rosé. Rosé champagne. Oh, rosé champagne. Okay, well, I'll have a glass of that. And and so it went a little bit the same way as you. This was a champagne made from 100% Pinot Noir from a small grower, La Corte Bouillon. yeah oh, It was just all this kind of red fruits and pastry. It had a powerful presence on it, but then just finished like a strawberry tart. It was just, you know, just a stroke of the kind of Fruit tannins to it, and yeah, oh, it was just lovely. All pinot noir, so you know, quite masculine really on the palate, but just real fruit, flat out. Luke, Morris. so I I loved it. And so I'm sharing the emphasis on rosé right now. I'm, I'm digging it.
1: Yeah, I think if you if meld back into the previous conversation, sparkling rosé is. I don't know. I feel like it's underappreciated. I think it it could do a lot more appreciation. It's um. It's a bit really? of fun, yeah.
0: It is a bit of fun. Just like this podcast, week in, week out, we can you. This week is Season 3, Episode 15. It's been an absolute treat, Luke Morris. A huge thank you to the listening audience. Uh, we will be back with more ramblings next week. <laughs> we'll try and find out what Carver is for all of us. Our- We should what the blend of Carver is. That's your homework, Luke Morris. Oh, yeah, okay. And in the words of Tony Barber, keep smiling and bye for now.
1: Bye, Tony.
0: Vinified are the wine cellar's specialists. We're Australia's only personal sommelier service. Our sommeliers work with you to build your cellar. Our aim is to bring you the wines from the freshest new producers all based on your tastes. We can come to you, source your wines, present tastings. Think of Vinified as your wine concierge. We can do retail, we can do tastings, we can host your dinner parties, or we can procure you that rare wine. Vinified is proud to be associated with Luke's Talk wine. www.vinified.com.au